Our lives have been turned upside down by this pandemic, but we're going to get through this. No peace! No justice! No peace! Breonna Taylor! We're going to know how to be resilient and how to bounce back and how to adapt to whatever life is going to throw at us. Let's use this as an opportunity to create a system that's better than the one that we've been in for so long. We're just trying to think outside of the box for a tough time like this. You can't get this wrong because it's never been done before. All you can do is try. You make a mistake, you fix the mistake, you move forward. That's where we are. There's an opportunity here to change how we do education. So how do we change education? That big question doesn't have easy answers. But now's the time to dig in, to listen to each other and to work on solutions. Because the decisions we are making right now are already determining our future. Plug into GA's new podcast, Bright Future Start Now. We'll talk with real change makers about real issues. And we need you to be a part of the conversation. I'm uh, Dr. Ebony Camille Chillis, the Chief Innovation Officer for Guilford County Schools. And I'm Whitney Oakley, Chief Academic Officer for Guilford County Schools and also a GCS parent. And I'm Julia Osborne. I serve on the Guilford Education Alliance's program leadership team, and I'm super excited to be the host of this episode of GEA's Bright Future Start Now podcast. I'm a former educator, and I know that COVID has presented tremendous challenges as educators quickly pivoted from typical school to remote learning last March. We know there's a learning loss. We know that we don't have the resources we need. But we also know that we can use this opportunity to fundamentally rebuild education as we know it. I am thrilled to have you both here to talk with me about what the future of education could be like if we dream about it. So, first of all, before we get into that, I'd like to find out a little bit about you both. Ebony, tell me about how you came to be an educator. Okay, sure. And I'll try to keep this as short as possible. But for me, education is a second career. Um, I spent over 17, 18 years in television and film as a producer and a videographer. And so um, I had the opportunity to travel around the world, capturing amazing, amazing audio and visual images with some of the nicest celebrities, actors, actresses, and those in entertainment. And I put up my hat. Once I won an Emmy and once I won the Emmy, I was like, okay, well, what do I want to do? And I couldn't figure it out. So I spent two two years um, traveling around the world internationally. And when I came back to the States, I was like, I want to do something extremely easy. Like, what could this be? And, and something, you picked school? And something. <laughs> I see you, Whitney. And, and this bright light went off and it was like, ah, education, high school level, teach mass media, radio, television and film. And so I said, yeah, I'm going to do that for one year. It was the hardest job I ever had, but it was the most rewarding. One year turned into four years, and I made a commitment to a student who said, I'm really interested in this field. I don't want to be a doctor. My mom and my dad are both doctors. I want to be in television. Can you help me get there and prove to my parents I can be successful? Sure. So I stayed for four years. She graduated. She ended up going to a four-year college or university. I helped paying for that tuition for her, and she is successful. I feel like we did it. She's a... um international reporter, correspondent. That's a great and, story. Yeah. So that's how I ended up in um, education. And what I'm passionate about, I would say, is disrupting anything that's traditional. Oh, I like it. You're the perfect guest for today. <laughs> Whitney, tell us about you. What's your story? 
Um, so Greensboro's home. I went to Guilford County Schools. Um, I grew up here and um I loved school. When I was an elementary school student, I um Gloria Wellborn was my kindergarten teacher. I can name every teacher I ever had for every moment of my life. That's um, so great. I loved it. And then I went to high school and I hated it. It was like the worst thing ever. Oh, and no. I couldn't connect to the people. I wasn't excited about it. And I quit. I dropped out and I left. And I was 16. And I called to, over to GTCC and said, can I get my adult high school diploma? I'm done with this. And they said, sure, you're only two courses away. So in two weeks, um, I finished my high school diploma requirements wow. and went to college and wanted to be a teacher to fix the lack of engagement that I experienced at, as an adolescent who, you know, had lots of privilege at the table, but saw the system failing lots of other people that didn't look like me. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was kind of my why. And I went straight into education, did special education, and now I'm here. So That is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. I'm excited about having a conversation with you guys today. So there are a lot of things that the last year has highlighted for us in a lot of cases, there were things that existed before, and COVID really just put a spotlight on them. Things like system inequalities and opportunity gaps. How do you guys envision, let's just go to what could be, what is possible. How do you envision building a system that helps us kind of leapfrog those challenges and get ahead of them? I think every hard time is an opportunity to reimagine something new and better and different. And I think what we realized is that very quickly, the burden of something that that public education didn't cause became public education's problem to solve. So like this complex issues of hunger and not having internet as a public commodity and all these things fell at the footsteps of school systems. And so, I mean, I think like the, the complexity, the role that communities play in imagining and executing a solid education for kids is really like, I think it just was like, oh my gosh, we're in charge of all of this now too. Right. Um, and we need to figure out how to do school on Monday when kids don't have devices or internet at home because right. they're not coming in the building. So like, I think what it did was did put a spotlight, but what it what it presented an opportunity to do was to network with other community agencies, other community partners to think about what could be and, and how we can partner cohesively moving forward and not just when we're in this reactive mode. We saw a real similar thing after the tornadoes, you know, where you just had people that the situation forced us to get around the table and figure out how to do it. So we didn't do great a great job at first, but we got better as we moved on. And the more hands that were in the pot and the more partners we had in the community alongside us, the more clear the vision got, the more tight the feedback circles got. Mm -hmm. And now we're kind of in this place to, to innovate. So that's good. And that's exciting. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is exciting. I'll just add that what the pandemic also taught us, which will probably end up being an endemic, is the fact that... Um, Industry and education have to sit at the table together and education and industry have to sit at the table together and you have to speak the same language um, because there's research out there that says, you know, education, even creating course content takes about three to five years. 
Well, industries move and at the speed of light in three to five years, we'll be behind. And I think that's what the pandemic, it was shedding a light on where we are behind in education. And um, yes, in Gopher County Schools, we have amazingly innovative um, magnet choice programs, over 60 that are specialized in certain themes that really allow students to focus um, how they learn, what they learn as they matriculate through under these specializations and themes. But I think it gives us an opportunity to rethink some of some of those and the way in which we expand and how we strengthen them. And then the last thing that I'll add is just also thinking about how we recruit these highly qualified educators to come mm-hmm. into the system. Like, how do we do that? How do we retain them? And, and making sure that we also make sure there's a focus on the, the non-traditional recruitment as well so that um, our employees are reflective of the demographics in our in our district. I mean, I know that kind of out of necessity, you've had to throw together some mm-hmm. of those partnerships. Have you built some partnerships and going forward that you can build on and make more permanent? Yeah, I mean, I can think of an example of one, and that would be... Um, you know, partnering with some of our local colleges and universities. Um, so we're currently launching a really comprehensive tutoring program to help address some of the learning loss that we have. And the very first university that reached out was um, North Carolina A&T State University, who graduates more engineers than any other HBCU in the country. Engineers that go to A&T want to tutor our kids who need help recovering from learning loss and they look like them and they're in college and they're graduate students like what bet like exactly what, what an mm-hmm. opportunity yes please yeah to put students who did have some learning loss and do have some skills to recover on this track to be aspirational and to you know re-envision what what next looks like for mm-hmm. them and so, I mean, I think that's just an example. I think there's lots and lots of others that are out there. Now that we know that we can do school in different ways, um, there's more opportunities to be in the field, you know, to be doing horticulture work or to be, you know, making vaccines mm-hmm. like as part of your course and your day. Like we don't we don't have to be bound by the classroom. We don't have to be bound by seat time. We don't have to be bound by face-to-face hours of instruction if we're brave enough to think about how it could look. Oh, I love that idea. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that bravery and what could that look like? What could a student's school day look like? So um, a student's school day could look like you walk into a classroom and there are open spaces, there's stations, stations learning. There's mobile seating and furniture for students to have mobility in and around the classroom. There is intentionality with the colors within the space. There are look-ins. So there's a lot of um, glass walls um, so that a teacher or a student from anywhere in the classroom can still be engaged, even if they're working on a different assignment. It's flexible furniture. It's organized chaos in the classroom. Um, and so the noise you hear allows us to really see students as creators, collaborators, critical thinkers, and communicators. And you also see instructors who are very confident in their delivery of, of information and their um, gradual release of instruction so that students can be self-directed um, and have ownership, true ownership of their learning. And then lastly, you'll see in the classroom, you know, you you can put as much innovation as you want in the classroom, but if it's not relevant and not tied to academic and technical achievement, then it's just something magical in the classroom. So we want to make that magic 
very relevant by the type of innovative tools that are in there that directly simulate industry or directly support core courses. So that's what I would imagine. That makes me think about your earlier statement about recruiting and maintaining quality teachers. That that makes me think that a teacher will look very different in this model than perhaps they do now in terms of their background and even education program, teacher education programs are going to have to look different. What sort of training would be required for teachers? I'll speak from the the CTE perspective. You know, those educators come in, they have to have industry-related experience, at least three years of experience, and they have several routes to certification. And so they have time to really figure out, is this for me? And then as they're figuring out, they're figuring that out, they're also getting best practices for instruction, lesson planning, classroom management, and assessment. For CTE, they do look very different because they've been in a corporate environment or in a trade or skill where there is flexibility in the dress code. There's flexibility in some of the jargon that you may use. There's flexibility in the way that you interact. And so it is important for them to be in these uh, certification, alternative certification programs, because we need to make sure that they are going to be a good fit and understand um, the, I'm going to say the trajectory torch that they, they're holding in their hand for our students. So for CTE, yes, they very well look different. And I could imagine even for the core that those that we're recruiting could look very different in the requirements to come into teaching. And I would just say that school doesn't always just have to happen at school, right? Like we've learned that hybrid schedules work. And so you may do a career interest survey and you may do your core classes in the morning or um, on a flexible learning schedule. And you may be going out to try some jobs to see if they're a good fit for you for the other half of your day. Um, you know, we get so entrenched in how we've done it that it sometimes can be hard to think about how we can do it. But we know now, right? Like we pulled off remote school in 10 days yeah. last March. Um, Bravo, and it wasn't perfect for a long time. It's not perfect now. But we have some kids who have been very successful and some teachers who have been very successful. And so how do we build on that to open up more opportunities to think differently about traditional modes of schooling? Let's just look at Algebra 1 mm-hmm. or something very traditional. How did that look different for the on the teacher side and on the student side. A great math one lesson would have an invitation to math where it connected instruction to a real world problem. In the face-to-face classroom, that might have been just a teacher setting that problem out there. On virtually we could have turned to a newspaper clipping for the day and pushed it out on everybody's screen and said, Did you have a chance to see this? And you know, now that there's this weather crisis in Texas and the oil lines are stopping, like what, let's look at this percentage problem and think about the impact it could have on prices next week here in North Carolina. So like, I think there's this opportunity and there's the opportunity in the classroom, but when you're, when you have the technical skills to be able to push and turn um, very relevant things out to kids, um, it it invites some flexibility that may not have existed before Mm -hmm. just because you hadn't been in the space to be able to do it that way. Sure. And then I think the opportunity to to personalize and do just-in-time feedback in the virtual space, like you can push out a private chat message and be like, hey, I noticed you didn't respond before, or I noticed you struggled a little bit. You know, let's talk about how we can do that, or can we touch base at 2 o'clock, just the 2 o'clock. So I think that ability to monitor individual student learning 
kind of rose to the surface as a benefit. Now, some of it is it was boring and boxes on a screen <laughs> and Brady Bunch-ish. Sure. Um, but so were classrooms in some cases. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think there's, um, there's, there's places where, where we saw good and bad and, but everybody did the very best they could and got oh, yeah. better as fast as they could. And f- don't forget, like we invited the world into our classroom. So like you could sign up and come visit a classroom before the pandemic. But we weren't in your living room every day mm-hmm. right? or at your kitchen table. And right. so, like, there was this unique transparency and vulnerability that educators had no choice right? Um, but but to offer. That's so, um, you know, we have a lot to learn yeah. um, from that space. And the way in which we engage parents, um, you mm. know, they they were able to be that remote or virtual coach. And they were interested in, in what was happening, um, in a, in a different way because they were at home too. So sure. they got to come into the classroom as often as they wanted to, um, to be more engaged. So let's talk about buildings for a little. I'm intrigued by the picture you painted, Ebony, of the building with the movable spaces and all that stuff, whiteboard walls. And mm-hmm. I love that idea. Have you, seen a school? Have you smelled a school that did it like that? Or is this completely what you envision, like from your imagination? So I'm so glad you asked. Um, Guilford County Schools has four, five signature career academies. The five had the opportunity to have a rethink about school design and an upfit. And it's a very innovative upfit. So everything that I painted as a picture for you is, um, something that you will see and experience in our signature career academies at oh, Western wow. Guilford High School, um, the Academy at Smith, Northeast High School, and um, Kearns Academy. And the programming is innovative within itself. Kearns Academy in Northeast is a focus on artificial intelligence and cybersecurity. So when you walk into this space out of the picture that I painted for you, you may be greeted by a humanoid robot. That robot's name is Pepper, and he may say, hi, Dr. Oakley, how could I help you today? Are you going to the Counselor Center, the Collab Lab, or are you going to sit and observe a class today? So it's a humanoid robot who actually serves as like a teacher assistant. However, they can be coded to do anything. You'll see a robotic arm, you'll see autonomous cars, and you'll also see drones. And then if you walk across the hall to the cybersecurity space, you'll see ceiling to floor monitors for the um, experience of hacking and coding and being able to read the program. But the student stations, you'll see dual computer monitors for them to project whatever they're doing onto the monitors that are floor to ceiling high. The design is pretty amazing in that space because it does reflect industry 100%. Then if you go over to the Academy at Smith, you'll walk into the Academy at Smith's uh, pharmacy. It looks like CVS. So it's the dispensary station. So when you're coming to get whatever type of antibiotics you need, you can um, have that experience at the Academy at Smith. So there's also a servicing station, there's a waiting room, and then there are spaces where students can design and build. For um, Western, it is a drone and a global logistics pathway. So in the drone classroom, you'll see a design and build lab and you'll see a test and flight lab. In global logistics, you'll see an automated um, inventory system and forklift. So when we think about these spaces and we think about the type of innovation that's in there, it is specific around making sure students have opportunities to practice a skill, master that skill, 
and then obtain the industry-recognized credential under that particular pathway, industry, or umbrella. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So have you seen, as a result of implementing these academies over the years, is there a corresponding increase in, let's say, student achievement, in graduation rate, a decrease in discipline? Have you seen things like that? So the academies are new. But uh, we we do anticipate increased achievement sure. and and less discipline problems. Um, it is research out there again that says that students that take just one CTE course are more high, li- likely to graduate. But it also says says that students in CTE programs have the opportunity to engage, explore, innovate, and their attention is really held in those spaces because the brain is wiring and firing in a way that it had not done and in some other spaces and other classes. And Mm -hmm. so it gives our students an opportunity to be vulnerable, be in a safe space to make mistakes and to solve problems of the world. Education is fundamentally about relationships, as we very well know. And all of this innovation makes me think about how do we train, how do teacher preparation programs help train new teachers for this new educational environment? How do we, how do we teach teachers not to do what's been done to them? So there's teachers, um, who are, have been doing this work for decades who have the relationship piece down to a science. And there's student teachers who walk in and just have it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so, I mean, I think the best way to train teachers to to think differently about, you know, inviting students into the learning space and, and becoming less of the deliverers of learning and more about the facilitators of the mm-hmm. learning is by letting them see other people do it well. You can't wait until a senior year of college for a, a, an education major to go into a classroom space and see somebody do it right. You also can't send a senior into college that's an education major into a classroom where it's not being done right. Right. That's exactly. Right. And so like just thinking about like these pipeline opportunities, these opportunities to get kids in schools earlier to see mm-hmm. and to feel and to learn and to do. Dr. Chillis will remind us frequently that high school's too late. Like we need to be talking to our fourth and fifth graders about like what they envision um, and then giving them the opportunity to do that. It's the same for teachers. Like let's show, let's show them um, what it looks like. You can't read it in a book. You can't watch a video about it and then like go and turn around and do it. But we have real life examples of great things in Guilford County schools. Um we got to show people, right? We have to. We might have to think differently about what that looks like. You know, we don't know yet what all of 2122 is going to look like. And so we're just going to have to stay in this like space of comfortable ambiguity, mm-hmm. but not let it limit our opportunities to do better. And mm-hmm. so I think that's kind of the theme, right? right. Like, mm-hmm. like know that normal's over, <laughs> but shouldn't be limiting. It should, yeah. in fact, be the opposite. So what would a different kind of day for high schoolers look like? And do we have the flexibility to make that happen? What do we say to folks who say, well, I was schooled in this way and it was good enough for me. Why isn't it good enough for today's kids? Making student-based decisions that may make adults uncomfortable mm-hmm. is probably the right thing and probably mm-hmm. the hardest part. Pick a tragedy that points out the inequities in our country and the lack of awareness mm-hmm. around race 
and racial equity and social justice. Mm -hmm. Like if we're going to pretend that our system is working, we can quickly be reminded of some examples that it's not. I also think if I can chime in, you know, I wouldn't go to a doctor who did to me, whose office looked the same as it looked 50 (laughs) years ago and who had the same bottles on the Mm -hmm. wall and Mm -hmm. used the same practices, practiced medicine the same way now that he did or she did. Well, it would have been him 50 years ago. So why would I want my kids to be educated in the same way when we know so much more now Mm -hmm. about how brains work and Mm -hmm. how school works? how we can make that work. At GEA, we often say that bright futures start now. Every decision we're making right now about education is shaping Guilford County's future. Ebony, what do you think a bright future looks like for Guilford County Schools? A bright future for Guilford County Schools is, it is graduation 2021. A student is walking across the stage and... Her name is Whitney, and as Whitney walks across the stage, she has a full scholarship worth $110,000. Everybody in the crowd claps Whitney. Her cheeks get pink, and her family's there taking pictures. They hug her. And then Ebony walks across the stage, and she shakes all of the hands, and they say, Ebony has a $110,000 starting salary at Volvo. My cheeks still get red take pictures, everyone's clapping. I think it looks like us realizing that students in Guilford County have choices for careers, not just graduation. That's immediate employment. That's a two-year degree, four-year degree, entrepreneurial venture, or either even a, a military pursuit. And that we are preparing our students for all of those choices. And you see that at graduation. I think what you hear as a culture and every year, it's career day in our district. And you're in a pre-K classroom and or it could be pre-K through 12. It's career day. And you hear students saying, yeah, I want to be a doctor, lawyer, nurse. But you also hear the students saying, I want to be a social media memorialist. I want to be a super baby designer. I want to be a drone optimizer. I want to be a bio meat factory engineer. Those are careers that don't yet exist. But guess what? They're emerging. So if we can have students to start thinking about And speaking the language of the industry or the careers of the industry now, then it has to transform what teaching looks like in the classroom. Bright futures also exist where race isn't predicting our outcomes. Mm -hmm. That's a bright future, right? When we can't predict what's going to happen, where public education becomes a system that leads others in creating where it's the responsibility of the adults to create the conditions for equitable outcomes for all kids. Mm -hmm. That's what a bright future looks like to me. As is our tradition with our podcast, we want to ask each of you three rapid fire questions. So here we go. Whitney, what was your favorite subject in school? English. Who was your favorite teacher? High school English, Miss Munns. And I believe education is important because... It has the power to change existing conditions that can and should get better. Beautiful. All right, Ebony, Mm -hmm. you ready? Ready. What was your favorite subject in school? Engineering. Who was your favorite teacher? Dr. Porter, my college calculus teacher. And I believe education is important because? Education is important because it's like the television screen of possibilities. Thank you both for being here today. On behalf of Guilford Education Alliance, 
Thank you for your dedication to our students. And we are lucky to have you both in our community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And you can help us build great schools by sharing this podcast with others. Let's stay connected. G-E-A-N-C dot org.